friends and, and uh, colleagues worry a little about me. Two weeks ago, I left Western Australia. I'd been there for six weeks. I somehow worked out a gig where I could escape winter. <laughs> and uh, the day before I left, it was 104 with no humidity. Don't feel bad for me. <laughs> and then I flew in on the red eye from L.A. And then next week, I think I'm in the Bronx and then Miami. And then in the middle, I'm in Butler, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, yeah, not everyone responds that way. Because um, they go, what, like, what's in Butler? So obviously, you have no wisdom or insight at all. Because there's amazing people there. I thought you would believe that. Um, well, we'll move ahead. So... Um, yeah, L.A. was having a, a heat wave, and I come here, and there's ice on my windshield. Thank you. I want to talk to you about what God is like, and especially how he wants to deal with our souls. It's kind of a fun talk. I was assigned it, by the way. You're, uh, you're, the leaders of your church went, deal with the people's souls. I don't have no idea what that means. So let's just uh, move ahead and see what comes of this thing. I want to begin this morning with a bit of a talk about the soul, because the soul really does give us, I'm ahead of myself, the study of psychology is really a study of the soul, which is interesting in the North American culture these days, because it should be that the church is the soul place. But most places, we talk very little about the soul. In uh, teaching forever, um, I've had students say to me with great regularity, Martin, you talk more about the kingdom and more about the soul than any person I've ever met. I said, well, God talks about the soul and Jesus talked about the kingdom. Kind of a good thing to talk about. But I've, I've had younger ministers say in, uh, in our church... I've been there three to five years. I don't think anyone's ever actually talked about the soul. And so we want to be corrective in the next 32 and a half minutes. Um, time me. Some of you do anyway. Because what we've done in our culture is we have left the study of the soul up to professionals who may or may not know anything about Christian faith. If we were to go out on the street and interview a thousand people, I usually say, but I have no idea. On the, are there a thousand people in the streets of Butler? I've, I've never been downtown. I don't know. Is there a downtown? Okay, if we went and interviewed five, um, I have no idea. If we went and interviewed people and said, if you had a, an issue of the soul, where would you go for help? If you had a psychological issue, where would you go for help? How many people... And the average city would say, I'd go to the church. We just, we kind of haven't claimed our right to speak on this. So let's do that. Let's reclaim the soul for, for God and for his church. But more importantly, let's reclaim yours. So, as we walk through this passage this morning, let's uh, look at what's the care of the soul look like? In order to do that, we've got to understand that God is the one who heals your soul. 
It's what he does best. We sometimes assign other things to him of what he does, but he's really the God and the Father of your soul. That's where he starts. The two words that are used most, I'll give you a third one before I'm done, but the two words used most about when God heals somebody's soul is that they're free or they're full. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about freedom. Because freedom is one of those words you can't just say without a context. You can't say, when someone says, how are you feeling? You don't go, I I kind of feel free. I mean, who says that? And if you do, they go, really? Um, They either want to find out what you're saying or they leave you alone. (laughs) One or the other. Freedom is one of those words that has texture and tone. You've got, it's very experiential. You see, sense, hear, experience freedom far more than you just use it as a sterile, sanitized word. Very soon, in, in a 10 to 20 minute radius, there'll be time to let some horses out to pasture. It's so fun in the spring when you watch horses being turned out because they have been in a barn for many months. And when you release them, they run and they're like little kids. No matter how old the horse is, they have great fun when they're let out. They're just free after a long, long winter. They're free. But you see, you've got to put context to this. For someone who goes back for a visit to the oncologist, the oncologist says, look, we've just run the tests again. And the cells are looking good, and it looks like you're free. Now that's context. When you go in for one more review board meeting, and they say, it's your time. Your term has been served. We're going to release you from prison. You're free. See, every one of these has a context, a texture, a tone, a feeling to it. Every one. And from God's perspective, he wants you to have that sense of what being free is really like. It's not a word to just say. It's experience to own. But the other one's full. After Sunday dinner, you know that one. Favorite expression of this, of course, would be Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving is the one time we have to say that I used to live in Canada. Um, so we always have to say American Thanksgiving. They're always in a hurry. They do theirs earlier, and it's, it's only three days instead of four. They just never get it right. But that's a whole other issue. American Thanksgiving, time when more families get together than any other time of the year. And there's always way too much food, and it's always way too good, better than it should be on this planet. And in the midst of that, there's always someone who goes, I am so full, I can't eat another thing. You've heard them. And then there's a voice comes from nowhere. It could be an angelic voice from heaven or a dark voice from the pit that says, but there's dessert. (laughs) When I hear the voice, it's from the pit. And the same person who just moments ago said, I am so full, I can't eat anything else goes, okay, a little more. Come on, a little more. Now, when's the last time you looked up and said to God, don't give me any more. I'm I'm too full of you. If you've had that experience, please come and talk to me. I'd love to meet you. It's not a normative human experience that we're so filled with God 
that we, we just say to him, back off. I can't handle it anymore. There's a third one that we're, we're not going to spend any time on. Um, Pastor Denny said you didn't need this one. And that's fun. Thank you. Yeah, that, that one will come later. We're going to release a spirit of fun. Uh, my sense is it's needed here. Um, just an observation from an outsider. Getting to speak lots of places, you're not the wildest crowd I've ever spoken to. <laughs> Let's just be honest. If we were creating a wildness scale, you wouldn't be at a 10. <laughs> Thank you. Keep it coming. The other one is expand your capacity to love and be loved. And come on, in the human expression of life, that's what people want most, to love and be loved. And when people have the healing of their soul where God actually restores them to fullness, they express this as a normative one. You see, images of God are most often learned in either family structures or churches. And so if they have controls on them, or other limitations, they're learned. They're learned. And so we want to talk about how to blend soul with both church and simple family structures this morning. Because the images of God are really unique. Three weeks ago, I uh, spoke at a morning session, breakfast session at Parliament in Western Australia. And I got there late, which is really bad when you're the speaker to show up at Parliament late. But there's traffic, what can you do? I mean, I left plenty of time. It was their fault. <laughs> the roads, they were the legislatures. They should have made the roads better. Anyhow, I got there a little late, and uh, I was to speak to them um, about confusions of God. And so I said, in the next 19 minutes, I want to clear up all confusion about God. Uh, they didn't believe me until the end. But the images are strange out there. For a lot of us, the image of God looks a lot more like Greek mythology. He's the hairy thunderer of the heavens. And he's, he, knows, he notices every time you mess up. And he's just waiting to catch you in one of those. And when he does, it's that lightning bolt of judgment. And he never misses. He sees every one of those failures. And he hits you every time. The hairy thunderer of the heavens. Uh, forgive me, I was just in L.A. Yeah, out there, God's more the cosmic muffin of the sky. <laughs> he, he just loves everyone. You can feel it, can't you? I sense a group hug's coming before we leave here today. Somewhere in between the hairy thunderer of the heavens, Greek mythology... And the cosmic love muffin, somewhere in between, is an actual image of the God who knows and wants you. And he wants to heal and restore the fullness of your soul. So as we learn these images of God, we'll pass them on in our own structures and live it out, this life of faith. So let's just summarize it so you can't miss it. He is the Father. God is the Father that heals your soul. One of the images I want to give you this morning comes from Psalm 103. It starts like this. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Forgives all of your sins, heals all of your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your soul with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If this is the God, your father, then it's time to receive your inheritance. He gives you all this. Own it. Receive this inheritance that's yours. The psalm starts off with bless, thank, praise. In original language, they were sort of used interchangeably. It's this profound, deep and profound sense of gratitude. God, thank you. The difference you've made is remarkable. Almost can't speak it. It's hard to articulate how significant it is, the psalmist would say. And then he expresses this. I want to do this deeply from within. Now, there are seven different words in the Bible used for soul. This is one of the more unique ones. This is actually throat. Bless the Lord, O oh my throat. If the psalmist would have, or if the Bibles would have translated this one literally, this would be no one's favorite psalm. I mean, it's just not very poetic, is it? Bless the Lord, oh my <clears throat> throat. We don't think like that. But see, for the ancients, the throat was the passageway through which all of life came and went. Food, air, water, all passed through the throat. Two fingers strategically placed can take away someone's life. I don't recommend it, but it works. Two fingers, life ends. So the ancients understood that and said, from the core of which all of life passes into me and out of me, I want to thank God from the depths of my soul. For the ancients, it's the deepest they can go. It's an image they want to leave us with. Since this is your inheritance, what are the benefits? Here you go. He forgives you. Let's clarify this one, because sometimes this one gets lost actually have gotten into people wrestling with, has God forgiven my sin or just my sins? The individual ones. Or has he forgiven this darker part of me that just has an amazing ability to screw up at the best and worst of times? Which is it? No, he's forgiven. You ready for this? He's forgiven you. You. And the sum total of who you are is forgiven. And he wants to restore it. He forgives you. He heals you. Now, I want to do something that some of you won't like, but stick with me for just a moment. I want to take you back to either late elementary school or early junior high. Some of you go, good, because it's been all downhill since then for me. Um, And for some of you go, really, do I have to go back there? I hated that era. Yeah, this is not whether you are a cool kid or not. This is, I want to take you back to English grammar, a strength for many of you. When I'm in, when I come to Pennsylvania, I always feel a need to correct this. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Now, here's the word. When you read this passage, what's the antecedent? Now, come on. When's the last time anybody ever used that word with you, especially in church? The antecedent matters here. Because when God heals you, 
What's he heal? He heals your soul. You've read the Gospels. You know Jesus' miraculous ability to bring physical healing to people like that. You know that. The amazing ability of God to bring physical healing, he can just take care of. But when it comes time to heal your soul, he needs a partnership. Without a willing spirit on your part, he can only do a certain amount. He is the God who heals all of the diseases of your soul. But he needs your cooperation. Because you haven't figured this out yet, you can, you can cut this thing short. You can limit access to certain parts. Key memories, control areas. If I was to ask how many of you have control issues, I'd get hands. But if I said, how many of you are sitting beside somebody who has control issues? <laughs> I'd quite a number of those. You see, this divine partnership, your human spirit, his Holy Spirit combined, this goes deep, deep within the soul. That's what the psalmist wants you to get. And he redeems your life. The psalms give us all of these great expressions about how he was down in the miry clay and how he lifted you out of that. thought about preaching that one, but you're, you're a bit too quiet of an audience for that. See... I actually, I'm better in Harlem. I am. I was, I was just at a conference. A talented young African-American guy comes to me and he goes, Dude, you can do black, can't you? I said to him, Dude, I do black better than you do black. And he, and he goes, You want to bet? I said, Yeah, because I've heard you speak. There's a lot of smoke. I can't find the fire. When I speak, you get the smoke. And dude, you get the fire. And he goes, bring on the fire. But when you speak in Harlem, you know what your audience is thinking. They let you know. They let you know if they like you. They let you know if they don't like you. I trust people in Harlem. I don't trust you. You're not safe people to me. And here's why. You sit there all like you're nice, and in your head you're going, sit down, big boy. <laughs> or you act all kind, and then at dinner, I didn't like it when he said this. So let's just make a deal. You like me, tell me. You don't, walk out. Walk out. There you go. I need one more audience participation thing. How many people of Italian heritage do we have here today? Come on, own it if you have it. Don't go. <laughs> this is Irish weekend. Everybody who isn't Irish wants to be Irish. How many Italians do we have here? Okay, a few. Here's why this is important. If you come from an Italian family, you get this passage. Because you see what God does is he crowns you with the good stuff. It's as if God is saying, I, I pour the best of my sauce over all of you. I cover it in the best of what I have, because I want you to have the best of what I have for you. I want you to get it and soak it up and enjoy every moment of it. 
I crown you with the best stuff I've got. And then finally, he satisfies your desires so that it brings you a renewal, like you've still got fire in your belly, even when you get old. That you still have a joy for life. I don't like speaking to college students. Forgive me, I, I've never taught college students. I was one of those odd profs who started at grad school. And so my audiences have always been over 25. I run global leadership. I work intentionally with leaders around the world who are 25 to 40 years old. I don't, there's, it's really different working with 19-year-olds versus 30-year-olds. It just is. But I get invited to speak, and so sometimes in a moment of weakness I say yes, and I speak to college students. It seems to work. It's just, I'm, I'm always, since I lost the Spice Girls, it's just not as good. Um, but I'm recovering. But I just did this thing in California. It was, it was really interesting to me because they ask at the, at the uni, the university. Um, sorry, I've been in Australia. It's a uni there. I, I was asked at the university if I would um, see students in the afternoon. I said, sure, 15-minute slots. Book me for a few hours. It's fine. Well, they came up to me within 15 minutes after I had spoken and said, all the slots are filled. How long will you stay? And I said, I fly out tomorrow morning. I don't need to sleep. A slide of pizza under the door, I'll be fine. Um, I'll see however many they want wants to see me. Uh, I should not have said that. Now, here's what fascinated me about that. Nobody talked about what I said. Like, literally, of the dozens and dozens who came, no student talked to me about my content. The common theme was, I'll, I'll, I'll quote one chap in particular. He goes, how did you get like this? Middle-aged, slightly overweight, still charming and good-looking. What are you talking about? <laughs> how did I get like this? He goes, how did you get to be an old guy and you still have fire in your belly? You're still idealistic. You still talk like stuff matters. They go, my parents, my professors, my pastor, nobody talks like that. They're old like you. <laughs> and it's as if they've given up dreams. That's what they wanted to talk about. How do you keep the idealism of youth with fire in your belly when you get old? And I went, I can answer that one. It's about the soul. It's about the restoration of the soul. One of the first ones we've got to cover is forgiveness. Let's do it. It's the key to healing the soul. Because you see with forgiveness, you're actually released. You're released of the past, the pain, the controls, the shame, the guilt. You're released. It's probably the best 21st century word for forgiveness we can find. But in so doing, then you also release the people, the situations, the control these things have had over you. You release them. It's forgiveness. So that's so clear what the Bible says. There's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You're free. And then when you're free, you have a chance to be full. So it's the place to start. But the sense is to feel forgiven. When I first started speaking, I thought, 
boy, this is tough. I, I feel like there are hundreds and hundreds of people who come to church every Sunday hoping that next week is different than the last few. And that for so many of them, they want to walk away, not with a cognitive understanding of forgiveness, but somehow this experiential expression that they're released and that they actually feel forgiven. It's one of the keys. If you're one of those, it could be your day. To actually be able to experience this thing and feel forgiven. But in order to do that, you can't settle for a slightly better version of yourself. If you start probably about the eastern Pennsylvania line and go west, there's a phrase that's used widely, both inside and outside the church. Some of you have used it this week. Whenever challenged with something like this, the phrase you use is, I'm going to work on that. You know that phrase, don't you? Yeah, it's the great American Protestant work ethic. I'm going to work on that. And it's as if the Spirit of God goes, imitates Dr. Phil. And how's that working for you? (laughs) You're working pretty hard to be a slightly better version. How about if I release you from it? What about if you actually take and understand my grace? Instead of just singing about it, what if you actually lived it out? And you lived free and full, and maybe I'd even throw in some fun for you, because you could use it. (laughs) Boy, it'd be a different life, wouldn't it? That phrase haunts you. I'm going to work on that one. Yeah, don't, don't. It's not working that well for you. It's time to be released. Let's look at the middle of this psalm. Because the logic flows, if you've been given this inheritance, it's very specific, the benefit that's yours as a daughter or son of the Father, then embrace what he's been given to you. The psalm just unfolds with these unique phrases like, he's on your side. These are exact phrases from the text. He is compassionate and he's gracious. He is slow to anger. He abounds in love. He does not accuse you. Boy, thank God for that one. He does not accuse you. He will not make you pay for your sins when you repent. He does not treat you as you deserve. Another thank you, God. He loves you dramatically. He forgives you completely. Now, I have to tell you in other audiences, you'd be applauding and on your feet. And you sit here. Does it sink in? Come on. The amazing creator of the universe, the father of your soul, offers all this to you. The the psalmist is painting this picture of what can be yours. And you go, "Mm mmm. Mmm. I find it interesting with numbers of us that we think the prayer language of heaven is some sort of mild groaning. Mmm. Oh. Ah. Yeah, it's a little more lively than that. Just so you know, it's okay. It's okay. I want to do something that no good speaker would ever try. But come on, I'm only here for a day. Let's try it. I'm going to do something that many of you, 
either secretly do or secretly want to do in church. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Go ahead, close your eyes. If I'm good enough, I can pull you back. If not, you're welcome. Close your eyes, please. I want you to picture some imagery. I've been giving you cognitive stuff, stuff for your mind. But for some of you, you need to see this, picture it. So I'm going to ask you to picture it. I want you to go to the highest peak you can see in your head. Some of you are from the hills of uh, western Pennsylvania. you got a favorite. Go there. Some of you are a bit more adventurous, either have traveled or wished you could. You've got pictures in your head of high mountains. Go there, please. I want you to go there. Somewhere along your journey, you'll have to pause and take a deep breath. The air gets thin as you get high, higher at the peak, but go up there. See yourself on top, right at the peak of wherever you are. Listen for just a moment. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who love him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion upon his children, So the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. I want you to look to the east. Look as far as you can. For those of you that are directionally challenged, just look right. Just look to your right. When you're at the peak, you can see pretty far. And then turn and look west. Or to the left, if you prefer. The father of your soul wants you to get. That's how far he's removed the worst decisions you've ever made. The junk of your life you wish was different. It's not yours anymore. So give it to me. That's why I sent my son. Give it to me. Whether you're ready or not, I want you to come down from the mountain and go straight to water. Large body of water. We're looking beyond a stream or a lake. It can be a a large lake, hopefully not Lake Erie. But go to a large body of water. Ocean's always preferred. Go there. As you get close, you experience it. Because the air turns different. There's often a sea air that has salt. There's usually a breeze. You can both hear and feel the lapse of the waves. There's almost always unique birds like gulls there. Just so you can experience it, go put your toes in the water. Go there. And it's the prophet Micah who says, God, 
you will have compassion upon us. You will tread our sins underfoot and bury them in the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Those are some cool images, aren't they? If you want to, come back. We want to wrap up this passage and wrap up this message. Picture it. The image clear in your head. He doesn't want a slightly better version of you because you try harder and you've been working on this. He wants you to be free and full of him. And a fun spirit comes with it if you're willing to give up control. Let's wrap it up. Let's receive and embrace him as father. It's when it really happens. So even embrace him as father. These words are so strong. As a father has compassion upon his children, the Lord has compassion upon those who love him. He gives us his compassion, his understanding, and his love. Listen to the text unfold. His father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. He knows how we're formed and that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like the grass, flourishes like the flower of the field, wind blows over it, and it's gone. His place is remembered no more. He knows what he's working with when he works with us, and yet he still wants us and wants to work this out with us. But here's why. Let's get this one so clearly. The extravagant love of the Father sounds like this. But from everlasting to everlasting. That's just not a nice phrase of the Bible. It's from eternity past. From the beginning of the beginning until the end of the end. From everlasting to everlasting. This is like a trumpet call. Pay attention, people. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is to those who fear him and his righteousness. Notice the phrase. To the children's children. For those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Look, I, I in no way want to take anything from you, but I want to clarify something very dramatically. For some of you, your faith in God is quite self-absorbed. Forgive me, but it's true. It's the Father's arms waiting for you. It's about you. So much is about you. And he works with you on that. Please, he works with you on that. But can I tell you part of why? Because when you're in, embracing all of what's for you, his eyes are lifting just above you. Because see, he's not just concerned with you. He's concerned with the rest of the people who know and love you in your life. The heart of the father is for the children's children. And he wants you to get this one right so that the generations can change. He doesn't want the children to come to have to go through all you have. He wants the children's children to be different, to know the embrace and love of the Father from the beginning. So yes, he's terribly interested in you. But sometimes... He just wants access through you to the children's children. It's so fun for me working with men every place. 
That's why Harlem works for me. If we can capture those men and connect them with God, we have a chance of changing families for generations. We have a chance of changing culture. We have a chance of changing local region and well beyond. It's the children's children the father's interested in. And so part of that is he wants you to get this right so that in the structures you live in, church, home, family, what's passed on is a healthy view of God. Neither the hairy thunder of the heavens who's waiting for you to mess up and zap you with a lightning bolt of judgment, nor the great cosmic muffin of the sky that there's no consequences. But somewhere in between is the deep and profound restoration power of the father of your soul. Let's give some very specific ways this works. I'm going to ask you to do something as we wrap up our service today. I'm going to ask you to prayerfully and accurately read the emotional health, both of your own soul and of that of your family. God knows the truth. It's time to tell yourself the truth. And address it. Danny mentioned I have an organization called uh, Global Leadership. We've been together. I've been uh, running it now for 20 years. My team's been together almost 15. Um, handpicked seven couples, and we've been together ever since. Done ministry in dozens and dozens of countries, and just stay connected. It's interesting that uh, these are the kind of people that God has really blessed and used. But just in the last year and a half, five of the men... We've had to have a meeting with them, a mild intervention, if you will, and just hold up a mirror and say, mate, why can't you see what we see? We're not, we're not being hard on you, but it's kind of obvious there's something off in your soul. What, what, why, aren't, why aren't you seeing it? Because we've been together and trust each other, it's a natural to go. Kind of been letting me slide, or once the guy went, yeah, I just probably didn't even notice. It wasn't great, just knew that, but just didn't address it. Oh, well, you don't know, since the last time I was here, six months ago, last Monday, my wife passed away. And so I have been getting extra grace from everyone. And so I met with my team and I said, after Easter, it's been long enough. I don't think I need extra grace. I need you to hold up the mirror again. They smiled a little too much. They know. And I know. So come on, let's sort of honestly, if we can, and prayerfully, accurately see what's there. I don't know if you know this, most of us have a really well-defined ability to self-deceive mildly or not so mildly. So let's just uh, go after it, shall we? The second is just the family myths and lies and secrets. Eight or nine years ago, I wrote a book called How to Get the Family You've Always Wanted. And uh, one of the chapters in there is called Dealing with Family Myths and Lies and Secrets. Of the first 50 people I sent the book to, sort of read it and give me feedback. They were uh, kind and gracious. Uh, they said, eh, Martin, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair book. But the whole book should have been that chapter. 
The whole book should have been about dealing with family myths and lies and secrets. 47 of the 50 said that. I thought, that's interesting to me. One of them, very well known uh, family of uh, known Christian leadership, she said, Martin, every family has secrets. She said, you know who I am. Listen to what I'm saying. Every family has secrets. I now have eight families who have volunteered to be the case studies for the next book of how family myths and lies and secrets can hurt families. The other one that we really notice is the family voyage. I mentioned we, I run this doctoral program in, uh, in New York, and we have all of our leaders go through a family voyage. This week, actually the next few days, I'll be speaking with probably 150 or 200 leaders, um, CMA of Western uh, Pennsylvania. And one of the things we're going to talk to them about is you will never lead a congregation past your own emotional or spiritual health. Either emotionally or spiritually, if you're hanging about a five or a six, you can complain about your people all, the, all you want. They're not going to get past where you are. You're the leader. Let's talk about your family. You want a better family? Go after your own soul. Honestly, it's kind of that simple. It's that simple. And the people who love you most both want you and need you to get this right. Please. The family voyage is interesting. It's where you try to figure out what's gone on in my family to make me the way I am. Why the limitations? Why don't we talk about certain things? Why is there this pattern in our life, in our family's life? And it's always interesting when families won't talk, there's always somebody who will. And you find that person, and they usually are quite willing to talk about why things are the way they are. Yeah. If I'm ever, um, this is neither an infomercial nor self-promotion, but if I'm ever invited back, I, w- I would rather come for a seminar in a longer time and go after issues that affect families and the soul. Because I think we could produce some serious life change for generations here. You're pretty good. It could be great. Go after great, please. A few years ago, I was interim pastor in a church in Jersey. And um, on the way out one Sunday, there was a couple in their mid-50s stopped. He wanted to talk to me. And as they uh, shook hands, he says... Martin, I just want to challenge you about something today. Well, it's always interesting as the speaker when someone wants to challenge you. And I, uh, I always figure out, am I gracious? Do I intimidate? Uh, what's the best response here? Um, challenge and threaten? Uh, come on, as the minister, you have to be gracious. They teach you that early on. I don't buy it, but that's what they tell you. He goes, Martin, I just want to challenge you. He goes, you do a really good job on God's grace. But he said, uh, you always leave out judgment. I'm running through my head, and I said, was there any judgment in the passage this morning? He goes, well, no, but your pattern seems to be leave leave out judgment. Okay. Um, I said to him, just a few questions. Do you like judgment, don't you? He goes, yeah, it has its place. 
Of course it does. A couple more questions. Do you have children? It was three. Two final questions. Do your children love God? His head went down. He goes, we've been going through a hard time with our family lately. I wanted to say, I bet. No, no need. So final question. Not only do your children love God, do your children love you? Tears started to stream down the wife's face. And he said, I said it was a hard time right now. Put my hand right in the middle of his chest. And he quickly pushed it away and left without thanking me. I didn't see him for quite a while. Three weeks later, I saw his wife and I said, haven't seen John for a few weeks. She goes, yeah, you're not his favorite person right now. (laughs) Okay, I, I get that. I'm used to it. It was another three weeks. She stopped. She goes, Martin, will you pray for us? She goes, it's been very strange. I've seen him cry more in six weeks than I've seen him cry an entire lifetime. He's written letters to all of our children, very personal ones. The kids are calling me going, what's wrong with dad? Does he have something terminal? She said, I want your prayers because this afternoon, for the first time in seven and a half years, we're all getting together as a family. The next time I saw him, he, uh, he said, oh, Martin, I want to thank you. I still don't like your approach. <laughs> but it's helped my family a lot. And I hugged him and said, you're welcome. He goes, don't ever hug me again. <laughs> When we bring everything into the light, it can't be brought into the light and stay a secret. So you've got to own your junk. As we wrap up the passage, I want to make it so clear it can't be missed. It's now time to pass it on to the children's children. For those of you who don't have children... You still belong to a family. Nobody mysteriously appears on this planet alone. You still came from someplace. There's family for you. And you can have impact on the children's children. That's what it looks like. God, the, the creator of the universe, God, the father of your soul, makes this amazing offer to you. Don't miss it. He forgives you. He heals you. He redeems you. He crowns you. He satisfies you. And he wants to be your father. And he wants you to represent him. Now, whenever these happen, I wish this was communion Sunday. Be easier, because we're used to sort of confessing stuff on those days. We're better at confession than repentance, if you haven't noticed. Let's just be honest. If you find yourself confessing the same thing week after week, communion service after communion service, You're confessing but not repenting. Just be honest. So when it comes time for a message and a response to a message like this, there's typically a couple of things. Number one, there's always something to be left behind. If you're one of those, own it. 
What am I going to leave behind? Begin to think it through. What needs to be brought into the light? Something needs to be told the truth. What am I going to bring into the light? And then finally, what am I going to ask the Father for? You know, he wants to give you good gifts. He's already said that. When you're free and full, ask. Oh, he'll give you great stuff. In the next 60 seconds, this is a soul day. In the next 60 seconds, I'm going to ask some of you who know you need to leave something behind so there's a freedom in your soul you've not had. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. We're going to pray you through a couple things. For some of you, it's time to bring something into the light. You've left it back there way too long. For some of you, it's time to not just bring it into the light, but to actually leave it behind. And for some of you, you're going, it's my freedom day. I want to ask the Father for something. I want to be full. We've got 30 seconds left, folks. These are fun talks for me. Because with this voice, I'm the soul man. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you just a few more seconds. Is there something you're going to leave behind? Something to bring into the light? Or something to ask for? When you're ready, stand where you are. We'll walk you through a very structured prayer. Stand now. For those of you, this wasn't your day. Just enjoy the grace of God as it flows over you as well. For those of you who are stood, it's your story. It's time for the story to be adjusted. Are you ready? Spirit of God, come in a way that you do so incredibly well. Come. It's time for a divine partnership. Your human spirit, or your Holy Spirit with these human spirits. It's time for a connection that needs to be clearer than before. So begin to put your finger on exactly what it is. So it's not general feel-bad time. Make it very, very specific. Is there something to be brought into the light? A story that's not been told. A secret that's left back there. A hold of the enemy. A pattern that gets repeated that should never be repeated again. You know it. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bring it into the light. The image is so clear. Bring it. And then in this partnership, show them how to leave it behind. The image at the foot of the cross. picture of the blood of Christ flowing over us, washing us clean. There's amazing images that you give us. Give one to each person who needs very specifically to leave something behind.
Spirit, we're going to ask you to break a couple phrases today over people who need it. One of the first one I want to bring up is I'm going to work on that. Yeah, speak very clearly. That's not how this works. Give them a new phrase. Lord, there's probably far more people have control issues than have addressed it today. So lean hard on control, because all you want is control. So lean hard. Tenor the no excuse zone. Because when we are trying to keep things under control, you're not in control. Show us how to do that one, please. Come on. The partnership we're asking for. Your amazing spirit, our human spirit. Work with us on this one. And now for the cool part. There's some of your children right now are looking for something to come straight from the Father. So as the Father of our soul, when the space is clean, come on. Give them that desire that fulfills their soul. And Lord, as an outsider here, I I feel like we need to ask for a spirit of fun to come on some of the people here. It's one thing to have young women dance in front. It's another thing to have a little dance in our soul. So come on. Come on. A new song playing, a new lift in the step, a new spirit of fun much better humor than before. Come on, partner with us here. Now, just before we wrap up our our service today, there are a few here. The part of bringing it into the light is you probably need to tell someone about it. So we're going to have a few people across the front, both women and men, who will hear what you need to leave behind and simply pray for a release. If you haven't had the release yourself, go to them. Or if there's something that needs to be told, come. It's just for you. Nothing better than freedom. Spirit, we're going to ask you by, by the end of today, to do something that you do really well. To somehow communicate to each one who's standing, whether you speak their name in a way that they can hear it, whether there's a sense comes over them of the very real presence of the Father Spirit in their life. Even that sense that things are well in their soul, it's more than just a song. Let them enjoy, really enjoy the freedom and the fullness that comes. Thanks for this offer that you make us. Thanks that so many of your children found today a good day. A good day to welcome you and accept the inheritance that's theirs in Christ. Keep using this place. Because as good as it is, 
we can imagine what happens when it impacts completely the children's children. Keep us going in that direction, please. We want to celebrate what you are doing and simply say thank you. Thank you. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.